You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to entitle this The Role of the Federal Reserve System in Financing Wars. Americans' Wars, that is, of course. And Chuck is going to be talking about some uh, interesting developments here. And the Federal Reserve weighs heavily in this discussion, and as many of our listeners know, the Federal Reserve is not a government operation. It is a private bank. It is a cabal, a collection of bankers, even international bankers that own the Federal Reserve. Chuck? Thank you, Tom. I'm glad you made that preemptive statement because this is the key to our involvement in this. If the Federal Reserve system was part of the U.S. government, then it would be a political question that, that would be up to the voters. Unfortunately, the Federal Reserve system is a private banking system. As Thomas said, it's owned by international banks. It was actually started by international banks in 1913. And the whole idea of our government having a private bank that they could write checks on goes all the way back to founding fathers' days when Alexander Hamilton became the first Secretary of Treasury, and he was the founder of the first bank in the United States, which was indeed a private banking organization owned by English interests at that time. In 1913, we got the Federal Reserve System much more sophisticated, much more powerful, and it is the financier of all the wars that we have, and it will be the financier of the future wars that we're dragged into unless we do something to stop them. And that's why We Hold These Truths enters into this subject is because when you talk about the Federal Reserve banking system, you're talking about financing war. And preventing war is, of course, our key purpose. It's a purpose that is not carried on by very many people who understand the financing side of it. So we want to spend this broadcast talking about the Fed. Now, it's almost impossible to comprehend the amount of money that is being poured into defense. Tom, I believe you just gave a figure for the newest defense budget. Well, there was an $80 billion increase, and the total security spending, which would include the military, is almost $700 billion. And of course, a big portion of that is for the military. Exactly. And of course, where does all this money come from? Americans are almost lacking a knowledge of this. And it's not because we don't want to know. It's because there is active deception to keep us from knowing. And the biggest root of that deception is the functioning of this so-called Fed or Federal Reserve System that we hear about every week on the news and read about on the evening news. But what uh, we're never told is that the Federal Reserve System is a private banking function 
and it makes profits on the wars and on the activities of our government and the expenditures. Chuck, I might add, before we actually start here, as an excellent resource to better understand the nature of the Federal Reserve System is the seminal work by Eustace Mullins. It's entitled Secrets of the Federal Reserve. It was actually written in the 1950s and then updated in the 1980s, and we'll make that available because it is very important to understand how the United States functions. And of course, one of the first things that after it was formed in 1913, it gave the United States the ability to finance our actions in World War One. We were, as a nation, opposed to getting involved in other foreign wars, but we were sold uh, the war. And so this book by Eustace Mullins is really fascinating. It's almost like reading a mystery novel, duplicitous activities that were done to get it pushed through the uh, Congress are quite amazing. And uh, Eustace Mullins is someone who's personally known to us. We got to know him quite well. He stayed in my home in the 1990s. He's now deceased, but he was a great patriotic guy. Okay, there are two recent news events I'd like to talk about just a little bit to try to give listeners some comprehension in the amount of dollars that we're talking about that are being spent on defense. One of them was an announcement only yesterday. A Raytheon Corporation is a New York stock exchange stock that sells for $216 a share currently. It's up about 50% in the last year. Raytheon is the manufacturer and the sales organization for the Patriot Missile System. It seems that Raytheon just got a contract from the United States government to sell $4.75 billion worth of Patriot missiles to the country of Poland. Of course, our country is somehow involved in the financing of this to make sure that Raytheon gets paid. This is about the fifth or sixth sale recently. There are six other NATO countries all along the border of Russia who now have Patriot missile systems. All these missiles are pointed at Russia. And so these are essentially acts of war in which billions of dollars are spent. Now, to give you some idea of the profitability of this, the Raytheon Corporation is not as big as Apple, but it is a $710 billion company. And it's almost incomprehensible to us to imagine uh, the size of a billion, say nothing of a trillion. Recently, the Volkswagen company was found to have committed various kinds of fraud on their diesel engines, you may remember. They were told they had to recall or offer to recall millions of Volkswagen diesel engines. In the United States alone, they're recalling 375,000 diesel-powered Volkswagen automobiles. And the value of these cars is something like $3 billion. So all of these cars combined don't hold a candle to one missile sale from Raytheon to Poland. Volkswagen is renting 1,700 parking lots to park all these recall vehicles in. It's a staggering number of domestic vehicles. And yet when you think about this in comparison to the military establishment, 
it's peanuts. The military establishment is by far the biggest source of expenditures for our United States government. And so we want to talk tonight about where the money comes from to pay for all the weapons that the military establishment produces and that our government somehow manages to put in the hands of other governments all over the world. And essentially, this is where we get into the actions of the Federal Reserve System. Now, we published a story a few days ago called The Fed's New Frontier. What happens, why it matters, and what could go wrong? And the answer to what could go wrong is war. What we explained in this is that the Federal Reserve System supports the offering of United States government bonds and bills that are used to finance the deficits in order to pay for these enormous expenditure of armaments. And as a result of these deficit spending that our government has done, they've had to borrow $4.2 trillion, I believe it's $4.2 trillion, not billions, but trillions, from the Federal Reserve Bank. And the Federal Reserve Bank, it turns out, as Mr. Mullins pointed out in his book a long time ago, and as we've known for years, the Federal Reserve System did not put up one dime of real money to do this. They created electronically Federal Reserve notes, and they gave the United States government a checking account, and the United States government essentially wrote checks on those deposits, and that is how the Raytheon company and others were paid uh, literally trillions of dollars that have gone to finance our defense establishment or our war establishment in the last few years. This story that we published states, starting in 2008, the Fed began buying up assets in an effort to combat the 2008 recession by injecting money into the economy. The Fed would spend over $3.5 trillion between 2008 and 2015 buying everything from toxic mortgage-backed securities to treasury notes. This in uh, the article you find on our website. They explained this in a three-minute video by CNN, which is also on the website, one reason we published this article. And uh, this says, the Fed balance sheet is large enough to buy the 10 biggest companies in the Standard & Poor, including Apple, Amazon, and Exxon. And by the way, the Fed's balance sheet is big enough to pay for Raytheon if they passed up Apple or Exxon. So what we have here is this enormous expenditure of our money that is going to pay for the military establishment. And then we point weapons at other people all over the globe. And this is the way the 1,000 military bases that the United States government has funded all over the world and I think 29 of them surround Iran, this is the way those military bases are paid for. They're paid for by money that's created out of thin air by the Federal Reserve System, and then it flows into the international economy, and lo and behold, the price of Raytheon stock goes from little or nothing to $216 a share in the last few years. So this is what's happening almost constantly as we go along. Now, Americans are awakening to this problem, though we're denied uh, the real information we need to know. 
But there are movements going on very subtly by people in other states around the country who recognize that the Federal Reserve Bank creates the threat of war, but it's also a threat of bankruptcy to other institutions, state governments, and all kinds of other institutions in the United States by creating these enormous debts uh, that somehow or another result in the dilution of the value of the dollar. Now, Tom, I think you pointed out earlier in our discussion that the government of China is trying to not to use the dollar to buy and sell oil. They want to use the yuan, their own currency. And they've proposed that they would back the yuan up with gold so the value of it would remain more or less constant. The reason that China is interested in doing this is that they realize that the United States Federal Reserve System prints these trillions of dollars and that uh, when they accumulate huge hordes of our dollars, they essentially are taking a risk that those dollars will lose value. So China has proposed that they want to use uh, the yuan in place of the petrodollar to pay for transactions in oil. However, on the home front, there are a number of states that are actually proposing to create their own central bank. This would be a central bank of not the United States government, but of certain state governments, and there are several cities that have proposed this too. And I think those include Atlanta and Oakland, as I recall. There's a lot of information on our website about this, many, many facts that we'll refer you to at the end of this broadcast. According to a recent press release, the state of Alaska is proposing the creation of the State Bank of Alaska. It would be owned entirely by the government of Alaska. And the tax money that's collected by the state, instead of being deposited in Citibank or Wells Fargo or whatever, whoever's the biggest bankers are that have offices in Alaska, those tax dollars would be deposited in the State Bank of Alaska, and then it would make loans to a small businessmen, large businessmen perhaps, and for student loans and other purposes with the funds that are collected by the state for taxes. This would basically go directly into competition with the Federal Reserve Bank, and these proposals for state banks and city banks are now being discussed in a number of cities and states. Alaska, Michigan, New Jersey are the three most recently mentioned. The one state that already has a state bank was created almost 100 years ago, and that is North Dakota. It's been a very successful enterprise, and it's the pride and joy of North Dakota. And so we now have various states and city governments revolting against this concept of monopoly central banking by wanting to set up their own private banks. We don't guarantee that this is a great idea. We don't know whether how each bank would be run, but we can absolutely see uh, the reason that patriotic people in Alaska would want to do this. They're essentially saying, we've had enough of the Fed financing, let's have our own publicly owned central bank. Uh, here in the state of Alaska. Well, I think people certainly could understand why there would be some hesitation, particularly after all the round of bailouts to the big banking interest here after 2008. 
to the tune of $3.5 trillion. Well, absolutely, Tom. And these are the same private banks that, of course, benefited from all of this deficit financing that went on. And then when they get in trouble with bad debts, the Federal Reserve comes up with a program to print more money, which is used then to bail out these banks and buy back bad mortgage loans and other forms of securities that they have. And this is why the Federal Reserve Bank today holds about $2.5 trillion of mortgage loans and other types of loans. They acquired these from the faltering and failing banking systems in the 208 to 215 period. While you wondered, Chuck, it may very well be that some of the owners of the Federal Reserve System may have been the recipients of these bailouts. So it was almost like taking money out of one pocket and putting it in the other pocket, so to speak. (laughs) Yes. And Tom, one of the things that's absolutely forbidden and is never talked about by the major media, or of course by the Federal Reserve System, and usually not by our congressmen, they they are very reluctant to bring this up too, is who really are the owners of the Federal Reserve Bank and who actually calls the shots there. It's obvious that if, if the United States government doesn't own it, then the U.S. government does not tell it what to do. It's, uh, I think, uh, pretty much understood that whoever pays the bill runs the show. And Eustace Mullins, in his book, The Secrets of the Federal Reserve, talked about the original owners, and they were big banks, and the ones who actually started it were banks in other countries. They were in the U.K., the Rothschild interests, and other enormous banking interests in England, because England went under its own Federal Reserve system, Great Britain did, back in the 17th century. And it's had a central bank like this uh, for a couple of hundred years before we did. And so then, essentially, the English-style central bank was simply imported into the United States and adopted here. And this has been the source of the funding for every major war and minor war and all of the buildups of pointing for future wars in our country. And with that, I think we'll stop. But if you go to our website, you'll see our two recent articles proposed the creation of a state bank of Alaska. It's about a lot more than Alaska. It's worth reading. The other one, CNBC, expose of the Fed scratches the surface. And in this article, we actually talk about a way in which the Federal Reserve actually admits that it doesn't have any money at risk in the securities that it buys. It's covered uh, in a little account of how they do business. And we also urge you to go to the category on our website called Our Money. Those categories are listed in the right-hand margin. And under Our Money, there are a half a dozen articles that we have written in the past about or that make references to the Federal Reserve And we refer you to the Public Banking Institute, a logical response to the Fed fraud. I wanted to add just one thought here that I think is most interesting that uh, anybody that looks into this, the Federal Reserve has never been audited. Former Congressman 
Ron Paul from Texas had tried for years introducing legislation in the um, House of Representatives to have the Federal Reserve audited, and that's never happened. That is absolutely cut and dried proof that something is wrong they don't want us to know about. But I think even more obvious is the little evidence that they don't keep the interest they earn on the bonds they claim to buy. Yes. They give it all back at the end of the year. That is too obvious for words, and that's discussed in a couple of our articles that we've written in the past. Okay, well, thanks, Chuck. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.